0: Welcome to a special edition of the Vergecast live from the Sundance Film Festival. Um we were just having a debate about what we were going to call this podcast. Uh I'm I'm personally in favor of Verge Verge Pod Sun Show. Wait, what?
1: <laughs> Verge Pod Suncast
2: Show Special and I wanted Hot Celeb Chat.
0: Okay, so let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I am Emily Oshida. I am the editor of uh, the entertainment editor at the Verge.com. I am joined with Brian Bishop, a senior entertainment reporter at The Verge, Hello. and Casey, Newtman, <laughs> Casey Newtman, <laughs> Newman. <laughs> Casey Newman. Casey <laughs> Newman. Casey Newman's own. Uh,
2: <laughs> Buy my salad dressing.
0: You <laughs> you you really like bind everything together here. You're. I'm the
2: I'm the salad dressing. You're the, the zip.
0: Um it's it's it, as you may be able to tell, it's been uh it's been a long few days here at the Sundance Film Festival um in Park City, Utah. Beautiful Park City, Utah. It is beautiful. Um you guys have both this is not your first Sundance. This is my first Sundance, but how is it how is it stacking up to prior?
1: Uh you know, I actually haven't seen as many movies this year as I did last year because there's been a lot of, you know, tech related but not movie news. Uh there's not uh, the line debacle that you saw last year, Casey. That seems to not be as bad this year, yeah?
2: Yeah, there's less um, uh, trouble getting in. I th- I think uh, last year they introduced this electronic wait list that gave people a lot of problems We're not hearing as much about that this year. Um, but, you know, I would also say that this year may feel a little weaker to me than the past two years that I've come. Really? There doesn't seem like there's been a runaway hit out of the festival, the one movie that People started talking about uh, yesterday, uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl is apparently terrible. Um,
0: well, I mean, th- don't take <laughs> it for me. It got a record deal out of sundance it got yeah. bought by fox searchlight for 12 million dollars so apparently i'm wrong uh and this is the feel-good hit of the summer slash uh early oscar season uh but it also just seems
2: like kind of cashing in on this trend of sick lit and here's a girl with leukemia dying to give meaning to the life of her boyfriend and yeah I just, you know I, I like when i think of sundance i think of movies like fruitvale station from last year right sure. movies that took us to places that we don't already go i haven't seen a ton of that this year but i have seen some
0: yeah i i would agree I've, i feel like there's a lot of this kind of stereotypical sundance narrative that i you know had expected but expe- I also expected to be disproven about i expected to be surprised because there's just so many films here that there has to be something that will break that mold eventually and yeah i've seen a lot of coming coming of age dramas um so far partially because i signed up for them but are also i don't know it just a lot of really similar arcs yeah that's Um, what's here and while you've been seeing coming of age
2: dramas i've been seeing really straightforward documentaries that are like rock solid and yet don't really do much in terms of like playing with the form or you know showing us um a a subject from multiple different sides um it, it sort of feels a little sundance by numbers if that's a thing can we say that
0: are we cranky here? Yeah. Cause I,
2: <laughs> maybe I should have opened a beer before we started this. I know,
0: I know there's still time. I've okay. got my, I've got my <laughs> goblet full of Coke zero. So, uh, no, I mean, I, but I've been seriously thinking about that as like a more overall issue that I'm, I'm coming up against at the fest- festival. It's like, there is a thing of that. I, you do sense that a lot of people want to have that aha moment with a film here. I mean, I want that moment. I've been going into every m- movie wanting that moment, and I think a lot of people are making themselves believe that they are having that moment. And I, a friend of mine who's gone to the the festival many more times than I have um, was saying, you know, the, the best part is eight months from now when all these movies are in the theaters and everybody who was just freaking out about them at the festival is like, wait, what, what, what was I this, this, this excited about? I mean, yeah, well. it, it's going to be really interesting, especially for like Mural and the Dying Girl, which, you know, all these serious film critics are going to. Are are like, you know, losing their minds over and it's definitely going to be marketed as a, as a fault in our stars or, you know, it's, it's going to be marketed for teens as like a, yeah, cichlet. And I think that a lot of people are going to maybe wish that they had not (laughs) been so
2: hyped it up so much. Yeah.
1: Well, a lot of it is about context too. You know, like if you stand in line for something for like an hour, hour and a half, you brave the cold you're seeing something in a room with the filmmaker for the oftentimes the first time anybody's seen the movie, Everybody's excited about just that sheer experience. You're mm-hmm. going to get amped, but it's almost like comic-con in that sense. Like at mm-hmm. comic-con, everything's fucking amazing. And no, it's not Rarely. Yeah. Um, I talked to this woman at a, at a, in the bus today and she was so excited. She's seen like five things. She's like, I didn't buy tickets in advance. So I just showed up. I waitlisted. I've seen everything, but one movie and I love them all. Um, I wish I was having her experience. Yeah. I'd be a great experience to have. Um, I have not had that complete experience especially in the ease of use of just getting around but right
0: yeah i mean i wonder because i mean it starts to really dawn on you how kind of crazy it is that we're all sitting here in these you know dark rooms often in strip malls in a small (laughs) town in utah And, you know, this could have all been streamed to us like we could have paid for the exact same price of airfare and everything and just sat at home in a blizzard and watched all these Sundance movies. Um, But, you know, there is that experience and the build and the struggle to get here and the struggle to get in every screening that I do think molds the experience to a certain degree. Yeah, oh. and, and if
2: you haven't been, I mean, let me say a few nice things about Sundance. right? Like, <laughs> it, it remains a cultural treasure. I, I really believe that. Um, it's the only place I've ever been in my life where people try really hard to see a movie. It, it yeah. feels just totally like... Anachronistic to the point of being quaint at this point, right? But it's also a place where you're seeing a lot of dramas that are being made for adults that are coming from outside the studio system that are not all based on Marvel comic books. And often and always, I wind up seeing at least one thing here that I wind up sort of carrying around with me in my head for the rest of my life. And so that's magical. And um, at the same time, it is sort of a lottery. You really Mm -hmm. don't know what what you're going to see when you walk through the doors. It's part of what makes it fun, but it's part of what can make it frustrating. If you True. don't like what you saw,
0: well, let's talk a little bit about some of the bigger uh, films that are premiering here. Um, there is the premiere section, which is films that are not in um, competition but are kind of the big marquee names at the festival. Um, we've gotten a chance to see a few of them between the three of us. Um, Brian, you just saw a true story this morning, right? Um, so this is uh, you want you want to kind of summarize it a little bit.
1: Yeah, true story is a uh, I mean it's a you know based on a real life incident. Um, Jonah Hill plays a New York Times reporter who has disgraced himself, and then finds out that a man accused of murder, who was James Franco, used his name, and so he kind of like invest starts interviewing him in jail, saying, "I can turn a book on this. This is my big chance to redeem himself." And it's this this two-hander that's supposed to be a real cat and mouse game where they're like playing each other and sizing each other up and going back and forth. And there's an interesting movie there. It's a really, really polished film. It's well put together. Uh Jonah Hill, who I have consistently like in pretty much everything, is great. Um James Franco, though, is this serial killer and he's supposed to be, you know, a sociopath and like scheming and like figuring people out and all this stuff. And quite frankly, like in the first half, he's just not there, not selling it at all. At first, I thought he was acting as if he was act- – his character was acting poorly, like to not like sell Jonah Hill well. And I'm like, oh, that's subtle. That's interesting. And you're like, no, that's not a choice actually at all. I feel all.
0: like I've had that moment in a lot of James Franco movies where it's like, <laughs> is the thing here that he's supposed to not be good? <laughs> is, he, is he pranked right. us all? Um, so yeah, has that that one is already already has distribution and that's pretty right. Yeah, uh, really so
1: yeah, that's like a super high profile movie and yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it, it was frustrating though because like that's one of those movies where you see it and that felt what I it tends to happen a lot. I think it's sent us the last few years. We'll have it's an indie feeling movie. It's a small movie, but big stars could be marketable, um, but um, uh, but doesn't quite you know work. And it's got the whole thing's got a fantastic cast. It's just. Mm-hmm disappointing about that one thing but the truth is like i have a hard time taking franco seriously right. in anything i think and i realized it today yeah like after the interview it's really hard for me to go and see him in any serious role and be like you're a real actor like i know you were and you have been but not today
0: what, what was the moment where you had like the too much franco moment for all of you because i think i know what mine was and it was way later than i think it actually i would have actually imagined originally i think it was his poem about spring breakers <laughs> That was kind of the worst thing in the world.
1: Um, <laughs> it was pre Spring Breakers, like because when Spring Breakers hit, I was like, I can't take it. If that was, he
0: was like, "He's Spring Breaker. Ah, I
1: know I, I I, I nothing against Spring Breakers, like that's the moment where I'm like, oh, I cannot take anymore.
0: Like. right <laughs> it's a good note to end on well he's kind <laughs> of the like king of sundance i was just saying to somebody on slack earlier today cool slack side note there uh, <laughs> uh, you guys been
1: slacking a lot while we're here
0: <laughs> you guys slack has been burning up in the snowstorm uh, yeah no he, he's been i mean i've heard people on the bus <laughs> saying like oh man i saw james franco like he's the person to see here he is the the, the celebrity he's in two movies he's in that and i am michael which apparently is not very good or possibly even worse than true story um i mean i don't I don't know so this is this is the the Franco film fest, yeah he's year. doing a
1: coffee at slam dance like he is he's is all over main street,
0: oh, so he's true indie, then. oh, he's legit, oh man, yeah, I think
2: he's just sort of like turned his whole life into performance art though, and like that's what makes him interesting is like mm-hmm. that everything that he does now just feels like a stunt, even if it's something totally pedestrian, which mm-hmm. is like a kind of
1: achievement
0: yeah. He kind of, he's sort of the, uh, I don't know, which is the more functional version of that, him or Shia?
1: Mm. He's good Shia. Yeah. He's definitely good Shia. I guess. Because he's actually making movies and
0: And we don't know
1: if it's a prank yet. You know what I mean? We're like, Shia, you're like, you're in a room with a bag in your head and asking people to come see you. It's like, yeah, no.
0: Um, so, uh, another, another big premiere here, I guess you could call it a big premiere. Um, it was a walk in the woods. Just a little bit of an inside job. Yeah. Uh,
2: so I saw this film because it stars Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. Robert Redford, of course, founder of the Sundance Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if if he is going to put his own film into the festival, I understand he's not the chief curator, but you know, he certainly participates in the film being selected. Right? It's probably going to be pretty good. It, it's really not. It's like two grumpy old guys in the wood. Uh, Redford, who we all know for being this sort of like shining golden boy plays this really peevish, annoyed old writer who, um, we're told needs to go rediscover his purpose by hiking the Appalachian trail, which is not a metaphor in this case that he really does hike the trail with Nick Nolte and almost nothing happens to them. Like there's sort of a series of incidents and then, um, a sort of, lukewarm conclusion and that's the film and i ha- I have honestly no idea why they made it i don't know why sundance selected it um it's just kind of a whole lot of nothing
0: is it the Sears land ho <laughs>
2: <laughs> it wishes it were the year's land ho
0: um, I, I find it interesting though there's like a lot of uh, there's definitely a, a market for the geriatric like buddy com yeah. here at sundance and a lot of like local moms so I'm sure that, I mean, I mean, that's, that I, I feel like that's see the audience. It working.
2: I could see it working. <laughs> it's just one of those movies where every joke just seems to land like a half a bit too late. You know, the, it felt like it sort of needed an edit. It, it was just like a little bit slow. Um, like seeing two old guys like get in a series of ridiculous uh, situations like I could totally enjoy. But this one was just it was not that movie.
1: I mean, is it better or worse than Gone Fishing? That's what I really need to know.
0: <laughs> or The Bucket List. Or The Bucket
1: List. Wow, I didn't realize that <laughs> Or much-
0: Last Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I think I smell a film fest yeah. right now. <laughs> There's supposed just be an
2: old fart film fest.
0: <laughs> um, well, uh, well, I saw a movie that I liked, you guys. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to be positive Let's for a about second. Let's um, I saw The End of the Tour, which is um, James Ponzolt, who did... Um, uh the spectacular now and smashed he's kind of a a a sundance darling at this point Uh, But it's his adaptation of David Lipsky's book uh, that's basically his account of profiling or attempting to profile David Foster Wallace uh, at the end of his book tour for Infinite Jest. And uh, this one's been kind of rumored about for a while. I think, like, there's a lot of hand-wringing about it because there's obviously something kind of weird and ghoulish about Jason Segel dressed up in a bandana and the wearing glasses and everything. And I was really, like, expecting to be a little bit grossed out by this movie, but... I kind of loved it. I, I really did. Um I it's 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 one of those it's one of these things like kind of like Selma where you can't call it a biopic because it's about an an isolated incident in a real life person's life, but um by choosing to focus on this kind of key exchange or moment, you really do get a sense of the whole character, which I and I think it was done and written very very well. It's essentially just one long conversation between uh Lipsky who's played by jesse eisenberg and uh jason siegel as david foster wallace
2: and, and how do they give it any sort of like narrative momentum if it's just like like two guys talking in a car
0: i mean it's so so i kind of wrote about this in my i did a review of uh, somewhat of a review of this movie i, uh, I don't read
2: your work i'm sorry You'll uh, it's have okay.
0: to, yeah <laughs> it's been a busy day you know internet internet's hard to come by here uh i understand uh i, I it's uh so a a lot of it for me, at least how I read the film is a a lot of it is about just the nature of journalism and, uh, particularly profile journalism and this relationship that the two guys form, which is supposed to be professional, but cannot help, but become kind of a buddy road trip type thing just because they're stuck together in a car and on a plane and all this stuff. Um, the thing for me about this film and I, I think the point at which I differ from a lot of people who also liked the film a lot is that I really saw it as a indictment of that act. Um, I don't think that it was written with that intention but that's the feeling that you get when you come away from it is that this was basically like a five-day assault on David Foster mm. Wallace or Siegel as him and uh, and David Lipsky is kind of a vampire of a personality in this which is really creepy and troubling to watch but also super fascinating and like that that is a film that i was thinking about for hours after i saw it so um and and jason Sequel is really really good like he deserves credit for i mean i don't i haven't seen enough footage of david foster wallace just talking and being a person so i don't really know uh you know how literal a performance it is but uh but it feels like a real whole character, and I think that's what matters. And you know, it, yeah, it's it's a it, and it goes by really quickly. I mean, like any, uh, yeah, like any long interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun to just kind of watch a Q and A. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I I enjoyed that one.
1: Yeah, Jason Siegel's a guy that I. Go- Back, going back to freaks and geeks, like I've always liked, and has been doing some stuff that's been kind of like whatever lately. So yeah. I'm really excited the prospect of him just like nailing like a serious role like that.
0: It's interesting. I got Franco and Jason Segel and the
1: whole freaks crew. Yeah, yeah.
2: here at Sundance. <clears throat> um, could I talk about something I liked? Yes. So I did see one movie that I just uh, unabashedly loved this year. It's called Tangerine. Um, it is by director Sean Baker. Um, yes, did I get his last name right? I probably should have googled Who's before I said. Who's our fact checker on this? This um, is me quest. typing on my keyboard right yeah.
1: now. Yeah. Quietly. But,
2: um but he is um an indie director who uh drops you into this world of And I and I got the answer right. So that was Yay, great. That confirmed. was great. Thank you. Um so the movie is about two Uh, Trans women who are best friends. They're working as prostitutes in West Hollywood. And when the movie opens, uh, one of them named Cindy has just gotten out of jail, and her friend lets it slip that uh, her boyfriend, a pimp named Chester, cheated on her with a biological female. And um, that enrages Cindy, and so Cindy decides she's gonna hunt down the woman who cheated on her man. And so that launches this sort of hilarious farce about these two women who are very different personalities who are just sort of, like, struggling to make it through a very long day in West Hollywood. And the story is great, uh, and the technical backstory is interesting as well, because they shot the whole movie on three iPhone 5 S's. ss um, I would not have guessed that it was shot on a phone when I looked at this movie. They uh, used anamorphic lenses to make it look more like a kind of okay. traditional 35 millimeter film. Um, uh, but apparently they shot the whole thing in an app called Filmic Pro that costs $8. Wow. Uh, they made L.A. look really good. Uh, and it's a really funny story. And there's a lot of heart. So uh, it was, to me, the sort of ideal Sundance movie because it took me to a place I've never been before, introduced me to some really cool, interesting characters, and uh, and told a pretty good story.
0: Yeah, I'm really bummed I'm not going to get to see that one because that that was high on my priority list. And and, and just that there's something really inspiring too about, I mean, that's what this film festival should be is people using $8 apps, especially now in like 2015, people should be able to like, just make a story without necessarily having all these celebrities in it or being backed by, you know, an indie studio that's really a major studio. Like, I, there's something really cool about that kind of story coming through and and getting getting a big audience here. Yeah,
2: yeah. absolutely. Apparently, the director just uh, he, his previous film was also about uh, a sex worker, and he was sort of interested in kind of continuing to explore that world. And so his uh, his travels in, in West Hollywood, where he lives, by the way, took him to this LGBT center where he met uh, a couple of people who were getting services there struck up a conversation with him and wound up hiring uh both of his leads uh from the center people who've All never right. acted before and then they collaborated on the script. So the stories that you're seeing are like real stories from West Hollywood that have sort of been, you know, turned into uh something a little more Hollywood. Um <laughs> but it's really fun and we're seeing
0: Cool. Um so there've been a couple of big uh buzzy docs here also in premieres um doc buzz. Doc buzz uh <laughs> There uh, so, so yesterday, I believe was the, pr- I've, I'm losing track of days. I will, I will warn you guys. It was the today's, day before yesterday. Today's Monday.
2: We, we've yeah. been here for six days. It, That's like, not true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got her Wednesday. <laughs> you lie. No. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I just got to six.
1: Okay. Today, was, is, today is Monday the 26. Yeah. You're right. I'm scared. Yeah. God. We what live here happening? now, you guys. We
0: live here now. No, I still feel like I, I never left the the terminal at JFK when I got stuck because my flight got canceled. Well,
1: you may be stuck in the in the I Salt know. Lake City terminal, so
0: we may be sorry we ever we ever did this. <laughs> uh, but I, so I think it was Saturday, the the premiere of uh, of Kurt Cobain mon- montage of Heck, which is a new documentary about obviously Kurt Cobain, um, using a ton of uh, home video footage and. All, uh, like recordings from his childhood. I mean, it's like a three-hour-long documentary. Uh,
1: Final cut, I think, is two ten, two oh, fifteen, okay. something okay. like that. But yeah, it's uh, director Brett Morgan, who's made uh, the Kid Stays in the Picture, kind of like experimental, very stylish documentaries that differ from film to film. Uh, and this one, basically, he had the support of Kurt Cobain's mom, his sister Courtney Love, and Francis Bean Cobain. They kind of just said, "Here's everything," you know, all four of them said, "Here's all the stuff we have on Kurt. Just go." Um, and it's this really, really amazing documentary cause it goes back to have, you know, footage from him and he's like one and two years old, you know, at this birthday parties and he seems so happy. And then from about, you know, his parents get divorced and then from about eight years older, you just see him get more and more depressed. Um, and it's an interesting film because, uh, there've been movies about Kurt Cobain, fictional and not, there've been books about him. Um, they're all kind of like adhering to this like main narrative. Um, this movie gets into some stuff with footage that he and Courtney love took video footage, that kind of stuff. It, quite frankly, puts him in a terrible light. It shows him at the lowest points where he's a junkie, you know, just like in a very, very bad place. Both of them. It shows that, you know, there's a scene where we, I think I mentioned it in my piece where he's getting his uh, – Francis Bean's getting her hair cut and he's holding her and he's nodding off because he clearly is super high. And Courtney Love, like, says, you don't want our, your daughter to see you like this. And he gets defensive and kind of, like, lashes out at her. Like, you don't like him because mm-hmm. of this. Uh, at the same time, it made him incredibly human in my eyes and having, you know, been, you know, g- you know, a fan of Nirvana growing up and then like seeing him die, like a kind of humanizing way that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and I haven't seen any other movie do before. And so that sense, it was really, really powerful
2: and uh, i also had a chance to see the film really liked it and one of the ways that it differs from most of the like cobain docs that i've seen um uh, aside from the fact that it doesn't accuse courtney of murder uh is that it takes (laughs) uh his journals and animates them and you know there was sort of a big buzz when they when they um you know released his journals so anybody could read them and as a result like you've seen them just a lot of places so his handwriting looks very familiar this film takes it and all of his doodles right he loved to draw and it just sort of animates all of those things and so the you know the subtitle of the film is montage of heck which on one hand is like a horrible horrible title like (laughs) i have no idea how they picked that title um but but it really is a montage and it's the best way of thinking about the movie like on the one hand it does feel more comprehensive than a lot of the documentaries that are out there just because they had such great access yeah but on the other hand it is not comprehensive like dave Grohl isn't in the movie and while it does sort of tell like the entire shape of his life um there's a lot that gets left out. Like MTV is like barely in it and like I don't understand how you tell the story of Nirvana and without telling Kind of the story of MTV and the role that they played, you know. But yeah. that's a quibble. Uh, it's really good. It's worth seeing, even if you like. You don't have to love Nirvana, I think, to love this movie. I think if you like Nirvana, you might love this movie.
1: Yeah, I there to several people who did not like Nirvana actively, but but loved the movie, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. And the name montage of Heck is uh, was actually a it's a, a cassette tape, I think, that some of the audio is pulled from. Um, so that was like that is a Kurt Cobain title. Apparently, it's still an awful movie title. So <laughs> yeah. that's no excuse. Um, but yeah, I think that comes out in an uh, in April and May on HBO. So. Okay. Okay, Um, it's an intense movie, but worth checking out, definitely.
0: Yeah, it's there's been a I think there's at least a couple of musician documentaries here because the one of the opening night films was uh, What Happened, Miss Simone, which is actually a Netflix documentary. Which will I don't think it still don't think it has an actual date, but it's going to be soon, whenever it is. So that left a lot of people to not prioritize it on their schedule here because it's like I'll be able to watch it on Netflix soon anyway. But um, yeah, it was and I. I mean, I I, I haven't seen the, the the Cobain film, but it was also similarly very, uh, very uh, intimate in its sources. Uh, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't have people in the industry so much as it had like her closest friends, her daughter, her ex husband, all these people, and and that really does paint a different portrait of a person than having you know these authorities on music and culture and stuff tell you why this person was important and all that and it's 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 kind of a refreshing way to do uh, uh, a biographical documentary i think um so uh let's see we talked about oh uh oh now on my schedule i have in all caps Celebs (laughs) (laughs) Celebs <laughs> <laughs> finally. Um so so Sundance is a festival where a lot of famous people um uh show up and um and are in movies and at parties. Uh it is a it's a, it's a celebrity hot spot, one might say. Uh and <laughs> I just wanted to see if you guys had any cool stories about celebs. <laughs>
2: I have some amazing stories. Um, Yesterday I stood behind Adam Scott from TV's Parks and Recreation in line for coffee uh, for a very long time. He um, uses an iPhone 6 Plus and he um, tipped all the change he got back uh, from the coffee shop, just threw that right into the tip jar. So I have a lot of respect for somebody who does that. Obviously, you know, he didn't have to, but I I guess he thought the service was good. Um, And that's just one of many stories I have. What did he order? Um, just a coffee. So, um, okay. just drip I, coffee. well, here's He's what I thought was interesting about that is that that way he didn't have to give his name, you know, cause if you order an espresso drink, all of a sudden it's like, what's your name? And I was listening in cause I was hoping he was going to say, you know, Beauregard Jenkins or something, <laughs> <Of course>. um, <laughs> but but instead he just got his coffee and, and walked away. <laughs> anyway, great guy. I consider him a friend yeah. now. No, yeah. you guys,
0: one degree. We went one through something
2: together. Yeah. It was a long line. <laughs>
0: I, that see that's your opportunity to like kind of elbow him a little bit and be like hey what about this line yeah. you know know what i'm saying <laughs> uh, that's how that's how yeah. you get things done in this that's business good. i'm pretty sure
2: i i i, I almost just said uh, hey is it cold enough for you uh, because <laughs> it's kind of cold outside but I, I couldn't work up the nerve
0: did you say uh hey Are we having fun yet? (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think both of us also had... Jack Black sightings.
1: Yes, I'm so uh, jealous of this. Yeah, right. but there was yeah. a uh, there was an event where the Meat Puppets played a concert, and Jack Black, uh, along with Chris Novoselic from Nirvana, was hanging out by the side of the stage um, because that's what Jack Black does whenever there's a you know somebody performing music. Uh, and at one point, he uh, he came up to sing a song with the uh, with the uh, uh, the Meat Puppets, which was amazing. And as he walked by me on his way out, I said, uh, uh, "Nicely done." And he patted me on the shoulder.
0: <laughs> oh, we wow. follow each
1: other on Facebook now. It's good. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: Oh, does he like? Can you see all of his pics?
1: Yeah, he's wow. crazy. He's Jack Black. Yeah. he's
0: Jack Black. What, I mean, what are you do? gonna do? I mean, come on. Um, I, I also, I also had an encounter with Jack Black at that party, but I did not speak to him. But I did have full body contact with him for about five seconds. So, um, I don't feel I need to really explain that any no. further. And um, you will
2: not be washing that outfit anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: he also, I believe, had an iPhone six plus. Really? Yeah. It's um, the
2: hottest trend among celebs at Sundance this year. So really
0: to Apple products. Everyone's doing
2: a six plus. <laughs> six plus. God. Yeah. Why did I buy a six, Casey? I did it wrong. <laughs> this is why we're not famous. Just walking Literally. around with our basic ass sixes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been. Uh, I. have I, been trying to keep my mom uh, updated on all of my celebrity sightings because she's. Uh, she's really excited about the fact I'm at Sundance. Maybe more than I am. <laughs> uh, and I. Yeah. And one, one observation she made after I. Had, I had told her about a couple people is like a lot of dudes. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know, like I haven't seen that many actresses. Like, I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't make it to the serious ladies panel, which was like Lena Dunham, Minnie Kaling, Kristen Wiig, and was there somebody else? I don't know. I didn't see that. Kristen Wiig's in a lot of stuff here, and apparently she's out and about, but I haven't. She's seen the her. queen of Sundance, and yeah. Franco's the king. I Yeah, think. which, yeah, she's fully deserving of. Um, from the one thing I've seen her in so far, she think she's in three movies. No. She's like, a Nasty Baby. She's in dire of a Teenage Girl. I feel like there's something else.
1: Does this mean 2016 Sun Dance is going to be the year of the Franco-Wig collaboration? Oh, my gosh. I
0: don't, don't know. Don't give them
1: any ideas or do. <laughs> I'm Facebooking Jack Black right now to make it happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're so connected. Yeah. Um, plugged in. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been a kind of a bro party out there so far from what I've seen. I saw Jason Schwartzman at another party and I saw Adam Scott at that same party for, um, for the overnight, which is also supposed to be quite good. Have not seen, probably will not get to see. There's that's the story with so many things here is, uh, you kind of, kind of piece together your schedule like a jigsaw and then something always gets left it's off it's so
2: it's like i saw six movies in three days and i feel like i'm like barely on like the outer edge of having seen the relevant stuff
1: yeah, yeah. well it's hard you don't feel like there's really a good sense i mean you talked yeah. in your piece earlier about how we don't there's no narrative around these films yet so mm-hmm. it's not until people start seeing stuff you know that something's good uh, but then you already have the rest of your week planned out and it's like Sunday or Monday. So what can you
0: do? I've done so many days though, where it's like I had a full schedule, a very comprehensive schedule, and then like I read one tweet, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go, <laughs> gotta go change everything, like tr- trade in all my tickets. Um, I mean, that's kind of what happened with with uh, me, Earl, me and Earl yesterday. Um, uh, oh, uh, we also, I, I think we skipped over this. Uh, there is a uh, there is a another doc premiere uh, going clear the Scientology documentary, uh, based on the book by Lawrence Wright, that was a, that is a very big newsy thing here. I think they hired, uh, HBO, it's produced by HBO films. Um, it's going to be, I think it's probably going to be on sometime this summer. Uh, but they hired something like 160 lawyers, uh, just to, I guess, protect them from, because, you know, Scientologists are notoriously litigation happy. Uh, it was, uh, I had read the book, and I am also obsessed with Scientology, so a lot of stuff I'd seen before um, I had not seen. So a lot of the film is devoted to uh, the sort of war that the Church of Scientology had in the early 90s against the IRS so that they could maintain their tax status as a uh, exempt religious institution. And uh, And that goes on for a few years, and then they basically just, Individually bully various <laughs> like uh, 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 people at the IRS, and eventually they are uh, let off the hook for a, a billion dollar, a billion dollars in back taxes, and they have this big rally. And David Miscavige is addressing everybody in this incredibly over the top set, and fireworks go off when he tells them about their tax status and this like th- this title goes over the screen and says we won the war and it's it's mind-blowing like and that's really like there there are all these individual horror stories about people who have been abused by the church and and all this stuff which a lot of which is in the book but i think i think that element of it um and you saw it too Casey i think yeah. we were both talking about this like that element of that's what keeps them afloat that's what keeps all of this abuse protected and it's basically comes down to the IRS and, uh, and that seems like, you know, one of the biggest takeaways from it, one of the most mind blowing things about it, I think.
2: Yeah. And also just how like we're in this weird position in a country where the, the, the agency, uh, charged with deciding like what is a religion and what is not is in no way like capable of doing it. Basically yeah. it's a bunch of accountants and lawyers and we're asking them to like argue these, you know, fine points of philosophy. Yeah. um, Uh, I thought Going Clear was really good, uh, and I thought I had never seen Tom Cruise's maniacal laughter used more effectively against him. Mm -hmm. Um, They sort (laughs) of use it to illustrate the point that the further you get into Scientology, the more you become like L. Ron Hubbard, Mm -hmm. who was a deeply paranoid person who could be very vindictive. And you sort of watch that narrative play out um, in several different people that it profiles, mm-hmm. and none more effectively than Tom Cruise. You just see sort of sort of like cackling and, and looking completely unhinged.
0: Well, have you seen that that video yeah. on YouTube, the the big long one where he's talking about the magic of of
1: it's the, amazing the stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's really not even saying sentences; he's just laughing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do they have interviews with people that are like formerly from the church and that mm-hmm. kind of thing? And, yeah.
0: Well, Paul, Paul Haggis is one of the main interviews, which uh, oh, really? Lawrence Wright did. A profile on him um prior to doing the book i think and he also figures in heavily in the book but um yeah him um this uh woman uh, i think her name is spanky williams or something taylor, uh I think. spanky taylor uh, and she was uh she was a friend of john travolta's who left the church after like a pretty horrific story she tells about um being separated from her children in a kind of disciplinary action uh yeah, there's a there's a there's a pretty good selection of people there, and at the end they show the people who declined interviews, which of course is like Tom Cruise, David Miscavige, uh, John Travolta, Kirstie Alley. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's it's. I think if you haven't read the book, like I, I feel like a similar thing happened like this with Guns, Germs, and Steel. which is another book where i was like oh man you have to read this book and then like they put out a movie of it or a documentary of it it's like well you could just watch this too um but uh yeah it's you know it's 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 great it's got it's 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 very it's very well done it's very shiny (laughs) (laughs) um uh so uh this year there's been a lot of virtual reality at sundance Mm -hmm. uh both casey and brian did a big write-up on kind of the state of VR at Sundance, specifically with um, storytelling in VR, which um, is definitely taken a big jump this year. Uh, you guys want to talk a little bit about what you saw?
1: Um, yeah, well, like last year they had, like a, they've been doing stuff since you know, for the last three years, and this year there was a, a big new frontier, which is their kind of, you know, art installation section, and they had 11 of the 14 pieces there were, were virtually uh, reality-related in one form or another. Um, Casey did this amazing thing called, birdly which you should just talk about because it's amazing
2: yeah so um birdly is this full body vr experience where you strap yourself into a chair with your arms spread as if you're flying they strap uh you know an oculus onto your face they put headphones over your ears Uh, a fan blows air at your face and when you open your eyes when you start the simulation you are flying over a 3d rendered simulation of san francisco and what I thought was really cool is that just intuitively you start flapping your arms <laughs> because like <laughs> that, what what else would you do, right? And as you flap, you gain altitude. Uh, you can sort of uh, twist your arms to, to sort of fly from one side to the next. Uh, and you can just sort of explore the world. Um, and there was something really uh, lovely and almost therapeutic about it, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's trying to shoot you out of the sky. Uh, you're just sort of exploring and the the physical chair that you're sort of strapped into does a great job of sort of helping you maintain that um, suspension of disbelief and make you feel hmm. a little bit like you actually are flying. So uh, I would say definitely the coolest thing I've seen at the festival uh, because it did feel like a step forward for VR. So much of the VR that we see uh, just isn't interactive. You sort of get plopped in the middle of a... What is essentially a travel brochure, and you look around, and uh, then you get pulled out of it. This you actually kind of got to move around a little bit and interact with things. I flew into the side of the Transamerica Pyramid just to see what <laughs> that would be like. Turns out it resets the simulation, um, but was a, was a really cool thing to do.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, there's a couple interesting pieces too. That uh, there's one thing called uh, Project Syria. Uh, that uh, a woman named Noni de la Pena from USC did. She did a piece called Hunger in Los Angeles that we covered a couple of years ago. And this thing basically, you step, you're in a room, so you can walk around, like fully, you know, walk, you know, move up and down, and it tracks. You also have an Oculus headset on. Uh, and there's three sequences in there that take place in Syria. And the first one is you're just hanging out in, you know, an uh, intersection in a town. There are people talking. Uh, and rocket strikes. And it's like it you know blows out your eardrums. It's loud because you're wearing headphones. Um, you, you can't see anything and you see a child running towards you and it's interesting thing this happened with Hunger in Los Angeles too where because you can walk around freely you just like immediately go into the world. It's kind of like what Casey's talking about, but you're walking as a person. I started running after this kid um, and the woman stopped me. So I didn't run into a wall, which was nice of her. Um, but it's interesting about how VR looking around is one thing, but it's when you can add those other elements, either like, you know, wind blowing in your face or moving around that it kind of takes it to another step, even something super minor, like the, uh, the game of Thrones things they had at South by mm-hmm. uh, in 2014, where you were like on the elevator for the white wall, that this vibrating floor, it made you feel like you were on the elevator more than mm-hmm. just the visuals um, that next step stuff is always kind of what's really interesting with with VR. Uh, and the big news that we haven't seen yet, I guess we'll see it when this probably goes live, but Oculus announced this morning uh, they're going to be starting to make virtual reality movies of their own. They're going to be showing the first one off called Lost um, today, um, which, you know, partly wants it to be either like, you know, an incredible leap for that, you know, breaks all boundaries and changes the world forever. Be a terrible disaster is the other option that might be fun, but in all likelihood it's going to be a small iterative update learning mm-hmm. small things because when it comes to narrative stuff, VR is this brand new medium and nobody know, knows how it works. You can't mm-hmm. use cuts. Film grammar doesn't apply. It's just like you're making up this brand new thing from scratch. So all these steps are small and iterative. Um, and looking back, I think, you know, in five years, we'll be like, oh, oh that thing that seems so minor at the time was a huge breakthrough. But right now, it's just a small little tweak where, you know, yeah. a sound makes you turn around and that changes up story point. That's that becomes a big breakthrough in this context.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think about, like, what kind of stories then will get priority with that, you know, like... You think about something even as kind of minor as as 3D and how that seems to prioritize action films and things where things are going to be flying at your face and or things where you are soaring over the 3D army or whatever. And like what kind of story will be. Oculus will oculus be useful to tell uh and that's that's something i'm definitely interested in seeing both with that and with the hololens because i can't wait for hololens movies and i won't shut up about it uh (laughs) no hololens (laughs) yet at at uh at sundance but maybe next year um so we should probably wrap things up here we'll be back on the verge cast this week uh barring any inclement weather uh to talk a little bit more about uh, the rest of the festival but uh i just wanted to wrap up with your guys is uh, maybe everybody can go around and share their favorite thing maybe their favorite uh most underrated thing mm. and maybe the most overrated thing
1: hmm,
0: mm. hmm. Preferably really something we haven't talked about a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll say this. My, one of my favorite moments. Um, I've heard stories about audiences getting aggressive with filmmakers at screenings before. I saw a documentary called The Visit last night, which is a very, very odd documentary about what would happen if aliens visited the you know the, the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's told from the perspective, like, the alien. You are the alien. So people are talking to you, the characters in the movie, saying, like, why did you come here? And then it's interspersed with that, with a bunch of like really, really slow motion shots. It almost feels like a Bill Viola, like but like for two hours long, and voiceover. Um, it's actually an interesting movie, but. Three, you know, like a quarter of the, three quarters of the people stayed, a quarter of them left during the screening. People behind me kept going like, oh, my God, this is so pretentious. Oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. And so I'm like, that was annoying. But when the Q&A happened, the people behind me had been talking the entire movie, basically just started yelling at the director for like being pretentious. And part of the point of his film is that if aliens came, we would immediately go to a war stance because human beings would be paranoid. And they're like, and basically we mad for him being condescending and talking down to humanity for that. Uh, and then they didn't get their second question answered and they left because they were really angry.
0: Wow. Wow. I don't think I've seen a super contentious Q and A yet. Usually it's people who do the, the old trick where you say you have a question and really you're just like, I've been such a big fan of your work forever. I saw this and this and, um, and oh, let me try to think of a question and take five minutes trying to do that. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I also haven't stuck around for a lot of the Q and A's I will say, because usually I have to rush off to do something else. Um, I'll say that I think something that I I think will maybe be getting more attention as the next week progresses, but still right now feels like not a lot of people are talking about is the Amina profile. Uh, It's a documentary from a, um, a Quebecois uh, documentarian named uh, Sophie de Raspe, I think. And uh, it's, uh, it's not what it's, it's one that's hard to talk about because you don't want to spoil it for anybody, but essentially you can, you can, you can call it catfish in the Arab spring and uh it goes to some it goes to some pretty bonkers places. It's not a perfect documentary. I I think it's a little it's not a long documentary, but it could be short it could be shorter. But um the story is is uh is definitely insane and she does a really good job of of breaking it out into like a, a larger, more consequential place than hey, like what a what a crazy thing that happened. So um and I don't know this is all very, very vague, but uh but I I think it's also one of those things where I, I wonder how much it's going to be seen outside of the festival, and I so I wish that it was getting a little more attention.
2: It sounds like it would be a great like Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Know? It would be perfect for that, or I could see it being like a Vice documentary actually too. It's totally that kind of story. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of uh, something that I I really didn't like (laughs) other than what we've already talked about um i don't know i'm just i i think i'm just getting line exhaustion (laughs) just from especially press line exhaustion Mm -hmm. i started i i went off on a a twitter rant last night when i was stuck by some kids who were talking about the art of film criticism and (laughs) i'm kind of i worry for the future you guys i worry for it
1: did you hashtag engage with the kids or
0: no i i kept looking over and i was like i I mean i was like actually laughing like i wasn't doing it just to be annoyed at them like they were making me lol because they were were being so obnoxious i mean like there were some good lines like uh you know film criticism it's it's dead it shouldn't be but it is dead (laughs) except for roger ebert roger ebert was was one of the great
1: but since he's passed away, I guess it really is dead. Uh, but I
2: think it falls to what, them to reinvent film criticism when I, I look forward to their contributions.
0: I know. I should have taken down their names just so I could see who these these young Titans were. Um Yeah, I don't know. I mean I I, I I'm trying not to get too hung up on stuff that I don't like here because I'm trying to walk into everything with a clean slate yeah. and feel like you know, I could still be surprised. This could still be the best week of my life because of this one movie that I saw. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh,
2: so a movie that I think, if if not underrated, is at least uh, under-talked about so far, um, and I haven't helped because I haven't written about it yet, uh, but Larry Kramer in Love and Anger, uh, another documentary that premiered this year. This one's also coming to HBO. HBO is behind, yeah. like, so many of the documentaries in the festival this mm-hmm. year, um, and I've seen three of them. They're all great, so I have no complaints, really. But um, Larry Kramer, a big figure in the gay movement, uh, helped bring a lot of attention to uh, the AIDS crisis in the early days. Um, and uh, first through the gay men's health crisis and then through ACT UP. And I think can credibly be said to have helped um, uh, push the FDA to uh, uh, advance the development of drugs like AZT that wound up uh, being you know, incredibly uh, effective in stopping the, the sort of uh, you know, slow motion. Uh, you know, uh, death of just this huge chunk of the gay, gay community. So the documentary is made by a friend of his, so it's very sympathetic. Larry Kramer is a controversial figure in the gay community, in part because some of his writings come across as deeply anti-sex, uh, which uh, pisses off a lot of uh, uh, people in the gay community. Um, but the documentary itself is just a riveting piece of history. Um, it's amazing how much has happened to the gay community just between like you know nine. 1979 and today and Larry Kramer has been in the center of most of the um most of those issues and uh, and so it was cool to get kind of a look at his life and to think about uh you know some of his uh his big arguments um Ooh. Yeah. And then I don't know if it's overrated exactly because like just had its premiere yesterday and I, <laughs> I haven't seen anything about it. No, but,
0: everything is already written in stone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so there's a documentary about the National Lampoon mm. called Drunk, Stoned, Stoned Brilliant, Brilliant, Dead. And uh, the National Lampoon was this magazine that uh, sort of evolved out of the Harvard Lampoon. And so you had all of these sort of snooty rich kids putting out this satire of american society it became a national magazine and for about five years was really successful uh but the founders like both became disasters in their own ways and and wound up leaving the magazine um what bothered me about the film was that i just didn't think it did a very good job at making a case for the cultural impact of the national lampoon which was sort of its one job right like instead it sort of focuses on like the personal conflicts between all the people who worked there and how proud they were of the work that they did um but while the name itself is kind of a household word because the brand got attached to things like animal house and national lampoon's vacation or you know the 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 christmas movie um it's not really clear to me like how influential the magazine was Mm -hmm. and i think whenever you see a documentary where there's that much like padding of oneself on the back like the least you have to do is to convince me that this thing had a huge impact they've got a couple interviews with like judd apatow (laughs) and uh billy bob thornton where they're like i thought this stuff was hilarious back in the day but it just didn't quite Push it as far as I thought it needed to. It's
0: one of those things. I think that's like a very common doc syndrome where you just assume that your audience is already on board and they don't need to be convinced of, yeah. of why anything is great, or they just want to hear famous people tell them why it was great and back up their own opinion. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: um. I guess I do have a piece of hate. Have you guys played? <laughs> okay, uh, bring it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Going going back to the VR thing. Have you guys? Do you guys play Kaiju Fury? This game is not. I new. didn't do this one. No. Okay. I think this is. Um. I believe. Um. Addie Robertson covered this at. Uh, at Comic Con uh, last year, but um, this is a game where it's uh, on cardboard. Google cardboard had a big presence in the in the VR lounge, and so you watch it through there. And um, basically, they say like, oh, "This is gonna be this cool monster fight thing." It's like an action movie; you're gonna love it. And imagine if you took the the worst sci fi movie possible, um, matched that with like. Two guys in rubber suits and then put it into a VR short film that basically disregarded any concept of virtual reality and decided we're just going to go make a really bad, shitty student film and then put it on goggles and that's going to be a great thing. Oh, wow. And that's what this is. Now, granted, I know VR is a young, nascent medium. No one has had to do it right. But one thing I will say is that um, if you're going to insist on using cuts in a movie, you should probably realize that people have to go and turn their head and, you know, left and right to look at different things in VR. So if you're going to have your really, really bad actress trying to play with some sort of like laser bolt, generator thruster device to kill the monsters to the extreme left. You probably shouldn't have the monsters to the far right when you cut to that scene. Otherwise you just whip your head back and forth for about three minutes style. until you vomit. Um <laughs> so don't play that.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's all. Stay
0: away from
2: this student this, art exhibition that can be this. found only in Park City, Utah. For no, the next that few one days. you can download.
1: That one you can download. I believe it's oh, downloadable. Really? Yeah oh, if you man. have Google cardboard you can do it yourself. So um take a dramamine and try.
0: Okay. Okay, oh, yeah, you just changed your recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that that about does it uh, for us this week. Like I said, we'll be on The Verge cast this week talking more about Sundance. Um, enjoy the rest of your week if you are at Sundance. Um, if you are stuck in a blizzard somewhere in the East Coast, um, uh, get some booze. I don't know. <laughs> okay, bye, everybody. <laughs> Later. Bye.